Hello and welcome to the Courtside Culture Podcast. Today we'll be talking about bully coaches and what they can do to the psyche of a high school player, no matter how talented that player is. Hey, Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Courtside Culture. Be sure to check out these other coaching-focused podcasts on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, and the Green Light. You can also check out our NBA-focused podcasts, including Knuck If You Buck, Cavalier Central, 305 Culture, Spanning the Spurs, Hashtag Lakers, Motor City Hoops, X's and O's NBA Breakdown, LA Hoops, The Wizards Hoops Analyst, At The Buzzer, and Lakers Fast Break. Oh, don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Hey, Hoopheads, we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com slash team pricing to learn more. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com. Hello and welcome to the Courtside Culture Podcast. I'm Dave Grinzinski and today we're talking to Leslie Unger. She's a coach, a speaker, and a speechwriter. In other words, she's a communications expert. And part of her job is talking to basketball coaches. She also just wrote a book called Horse Talk that I think a lot of coaches can learn from. Leslie, thank you so much for joining us on the Courtside Culture Podcast. It is truly my pleasure. I'm excited to be here. Well, thank you very much. Now, typically you're working in the business world, but I see a lot of correlations between building a good team culture in sports and then also building one in the office as well. So, Leslie, my first question for you is, do you see a lot of similarities between coaches on the field or on the court and managers who are in an office building and businesses when it comes to communications? You know, I do. And I think one of the reasons that I do, I was raised on listening to Ohio State football. My dad had gone to Ohio State, and it was before every game was televised. They were on the radio on Saturdays, and my dad and I would be in the barn. I can remember the second Archie Griffin first came into a football game. So I was raised around sports, and to me, the the connection is so clear. A coach is a coach, and you know whether you are coaching in business or sports, a question I just asked three basketball coaches last week. The mantra I live by is, as a coach, you do not have control over your player's talent or discipline. And that is really true in the business world. So as a coach, we have to look at what we do have influence over and accept the things that we may not have influence over. And that's true in any world. 
So we will talk a lot about the similarities between sports and the business world. But first, I want you to talk about your new book because it all applies to me when uh, when you pick up the book and you look through it. What is Horse Talk all about? Horse Talk is a program that I named. Um, I came up with the name Horse Talk Lessons in Leadership. I showed horses for almost 30 years. And although I didn't play team sports as you think of team sports, you are a team with your horse and the people you put together to be successful in competitive showing. So when I stopped showing and I started coaching, I found that I was using examples from the show ring, like you only have to be good for 15 seconds. You just don't know which 15 seconds. And I found that these stories and analogies, anecdotes, that they resonated with my non-horse clients. So I created this day, there's no riding involved, because a horse is genetically programmed to be able to identify leadership. They have to out in the wild, or they could follow a horse off a cliff if they were following the wrong horse. So they genetically can identify leadership. A horse doesn't care if you went to West Point or Harvard or Tri-C. They don't care if you have a corner office about your expense account or your salary. They're going to follow you because they identify you as a leader. Conversely, they're not gonna follow you if they don't identify you as a leader. And that's usually because you haven't identified you as a leader. So I've crafted this day that has some team experiences that only work. You can only be effective at these challenges if you work as a team with either people you just met or people that you work with. So it's a it's a way to see yourself through a different lens, to see your communication and leadership skills through a different lens. You know, most everybody says they're good under pressure. They think out of the box. They're problem solvers, but it doesn't mean they are. You come to Horse Talk and you will find out because the horses will tell me if you are. What do you typically see in your experience? Are the things are there are there a few things that stand out to the people who think they are leaders but they're not when they have those eye-opening moments? What are some of the things that that really are kind of consistent and stand out amongst these people? You know, I said to a, a high school basketball coach once that I wanted to come to horse talk. And um, I said, you know, if you if you know you want to find out if you're a leader, you know, come to Horse Talk and, and the horse will tell me. And he looked at me and he said, I would never do that. I would never come. And I thought he was going to tell me he had an allergy or something. And so fortunately, I said, really, why not? And he said, well, what if the horse tells me I'm not a leader? And I said, well, what if the horse tells you tells me that you are? And the reason I bring this story up is I have found in about 12 years of doing horse talk lessons in leadership that more times I find someone has leadership qualities that they have not recognized, that they don't think they're a leader. But the horse tells me that they are more times than people that think they're leaders and they're not. 
But it can happen both ways. You know, I I had a, uh, a participant on Horse Talk that happened to be a client. He was a West Point graduate. So you go, bing, 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 leader, leader. He could not get a horse to follow him in a circle. Um, so he he definitely, he was a great guy, but he was not a leader. I had another guy who had excelled by figuratively being pushy. Well, he was a fairly big guy, but I gave him a horse to work with that is a small draft horse. He is not bigger than a small draft horse. And he, he saw himself that he was pushing and he realized he didn't want to be a leader by pushing. He wanted to be a leader by leading. Does that help? But is it, you know, what are, I guess, what makes that difference though? Is it, is it, is it, does it come down to what you're at, what, you know, what we're talking about here? Is it the way they communicate that turns them, you know, either into a leader or not a leader? It is a way they communicate. And in a perfect world, I would say that it starts with them seeing themselves as leader. But if you're not at that point yet, Leaders have verbal, vocal, and visual components. So there's an exercise I call the leadership walk. And you, you have to walk a horse to a certain point and turn around and come back and, and, and bring him back. You may not feel confident leading a 2,000-pound horse. But if you can mirror what confidence looks and sounds like, convincingly enough, the horse will follow you. So you have to say to yourself, okay, I'm not really confident leading this horse. I'm not really confident going to the my first playoff finals. I'm not really confident playing in my first, you know, championship game. But if I was, what would I sound and look like? What would the verbal, vocal, and visual components be? And if you can emulate those, the horse will follow you and, and the team will follow you whether or not you really 100% believe that. Yeah, and that's one of the things that we, we talk a lot about here on the, the Courtside Culture podcast. Is it really, it, it, it starts at the top, right? It, stopped, it starts with the coach, and yes. you know, and same thing in business, right? If if your if yes. your employees, you know, aren't buying into what you're you're trying to sell your your clients or your customers, you know, they're not going to convey that confidence either. So you agree with that? Yes, culture always, always, always comes from the top, always. But but here's just the one little fly in the ointment: the top of your world may not be the top of the organization world. So, you know, if you think back to the movie The Green Mile with Tom Hanks, you know, The Green Mile was death row. Tom Hanks was in charge of The Green Mile. He was not in charge of the whole prison. He was not the warden. So a coach, as long as the coach is seen as the top by his players, it doesn't matter about the principal or the president of the university or the, you know, the commissioner of the NFL. Um, It's who is seen as the top in your world? And yes, culture always comes from the top. Well, one of the things that I love that, you know, that you said earlier is that, you know, you, you, you grew up on Ohio State football. You mm-hmm. grew up showing horses. But, it, but the, the, this podcast is called Courtside Culture. And yes, it's on a, a, a podcast network that is full of basketball related podcasts. But one of the reasons I love doing this podcast and picking the brains of super smart people like you is because 
the things we talk about don't just apply to basketball. And 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 not only do they apply, you know, to the business world, but they apply to life. And and just we're, you know, if we can if we can get our kids and get our adults who are coaching the kids or get our managers who have employees under them to to kind of understand that this is something that goes across the board and you don't necessarily have to pick and choose where you want to lead. I mean, am I going, am I on the right track in, in saying that? Yes. Am, I, am I thinking flawed? No, I'm good. Abs- absolutely. And that's why this horse day to me is so important and exciting is that it really has nothing to do with the horses. Yes, you are spending a day at a farm and, and you've, you're surrounded by horses, but it really has nothing to do with the horses because the lessons are the important because you take them and apply them to what I call outside of the pasture, outside of the round pen. That's why it's a valuable day. To me, you know, I don't, I don't have many gifts. Okay, I'm not going to win a, a Super Bowl. I'm not Tom Brady. I'm not going to score three points at the end of a game with a half a second left. I'm not going to run a marathon. My gift is that I so clearly see what a person is doing and how that can help them in the outside world. And to me, those lessons are so clear. And that is the value of horse talk. That's the value of sports is what can I learn from being a leader or a follower? Because every leader needs followers. So, you know, if a player can look in the honest mirror and say, I'm a good player, I'm a great follower, that's very valuable to any team in any business because leaders need followers. So being able to see the lessons and how they apply outside of a player's life. You know, sooner or later, any player is going to stop playing. Whether they stop after high school or college or pro ball, they're going to stop playing. And how can they use those lessons in their next, you know, level of excellence? And so it's about taking those lessons and applying them outside of the court and their next part of their journey, whether it is in a in a business atmosphere, a nonprofit nonprofit atmosphere, how do you take those lessons of showing up of, um, you know, as Campy, Campy Russell would call it, being the shooter or the score? How do you take those lessons and apply them? That's the important thing in on the court and at Horse Talk. Well, I think, too, what, what we see here is how the communication can cement a team or, or an office. And yes. because now everybody, it gets everybody on the same page, right? Yes. And, and it has to be, there are many forms of communication. And actually at Horse Talk, the first team exercise, the participants are not allowed to talk. Only the leader is allowed to talk. In the second team exercise, everyone is allowed to talk. And one of the reasons is to see the difference, how important it is for communication to both go up the organizational chart and down the organizational chart. And just, you know, horses, I believe horses are smart. There are some people that say, well, you know, pigs are smarter, but whether it's a dog or a horse, you know, if I bump into my dog, I say, excuse me. Now, does he really understand? But it's still important to verbally acknowledge And I think that's important, you know, whether a player is having a good practice, a bad practice, to verbally acknowledge 
is important. It is also important to visually acknowledge. It is also important at times to non-verbally acknowledge, but it doesn't mean that verbal is not important. We need all forms of communication, including verbal. I think one of the things that that I've come to learn talking to various coaches and, and even some of the players is that you you talk about the horse responding to the leader, right? Yes. And I think that when it comes to communication, in order for the coach to be the leader, sometimes they have to realize that there there are some players that will not feel comfortable coming to talk to the coach no matter what the situation is and to me I feel like it's on the coach or the manager to go and reach out and talk to the player what are your thoughts on that you know I have interviewed um, Jim Tressel several times and one thing that I remember him telling me was that when he came to Ohio State he had his office moved the head coach office was on the opposite side from the locker room and he had his office moved so that he could just watch the players come in and out of the locker room why because watching them if you are reading someone's nonverbal communication will tell you are they having a good day or a bad day you know did the girlfriend just break up with them did the dog die and it was important for him because Working with people, building um, a, a team, building a business is about a thousand pieces. It's like a thousand piece puzzle. And all of these pieces are important. And at the time that you're working on a puzzle, you don't know which is the most important piece and which is the least important piece. They're all important pieces. And watching that so that he could go over to a player, you know, put his arm around the player. And again, knowing when do you put your arm around the player and when do they need a kick in the butt? When do you sit across from them so that you are reminding them of authority? And when do you sit next to them? It's the same thing with the player. It's the same thing with the horse. It's the same thing with the team. And it's got, you've got to be proactive on both sides. You can't just say, well, now I'm, I'm a leader. I'm at the top. I no longer have to be proactive. That is a 24 seven job. The puzzle analogy to me is phenomenal because when you look at a puzzle, what the first thing I mean, at least in my experience, the first thing you go for are the corner pieces, right? Because you think that's going to set the stage. So those might you might look at those as the most important pieces. But then when you get down to the end and you can't find that one little piece that kind of goes into, you know, a little off center, right. you know, now all of a sudden that's your most important piece, which to your point, every piece of the puzzle is equally important and it's the person who is putting it together, right? To it's on them to to really to 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 communicate effectively and to drive that that winning culture of making sure everybody who is on the team is just as important as the next person. Yes. And and you know, following in the puzzle, you know, there's an effective coach knows there is no such thing as little things or big things. 
You know, there is a, a famous story, and I, I think it's true, but I don't really care if it is or not, um, that when John Wooden was coach at UCLA, at the first practice every fall, the first basketball practice, he would take a shoe and he would show his players the correct way to lace your shoe. Well, people might say, well, you know, they've been playing their whole life. They know how to how to put a pair of shoes on. But his point was, I need the players to be healthy in the playoffs. And to this day, when I put my shoes on, I think of him because I want to just pull the laces, you know, from the very top of my foot. And that's the incorrect way. You are supposed to start down at your toes and you're supposed to work up the laces with equal weight so that you don't end up in the playoffs and one of your best players is not there because they have a foot problem or a toe problem. So is lacing your shoes, is that a little thing or a big thing? Well, his point was there are no little things. There are no little pieces, unimportant pieces of the puzzle. Everything is huge. And I think probably that's why you see some coaches that, you know, spend 10 years or 20 years coaching um, because that 10 or 20 years is like 50 years if they're really paying attention 24-7. When it comes to the coaches that you've worked with, is there something that you see, the, the coaches who maybe aren't, the most effective communicators? Is there something that you see that's uh, across the board, an issue that's fixable, but but that you come across with coaches that you work with? You know, I, I would back up from that for a moment. And, you know, one thing that I think we've all noticed is that, I don't know, in the last 10 years or, or so, so you look at the NBA, more coaches ha- have been players And it didn't used to be like that. And it didn't used to be like that in most sports. You know, you had coaches and you had players and and you didn't have to have been a, a player to be a coach. But now you often see that. And the reason I bring that up is that the the really tough part is that as a player, you know, you've got to have an ego. And you have to believe you're the best one to get the ball in the last second. You know, that you're the best one uh, to come up with a play or to lead the team down the floor. But coaches, the, the really effective coaches have to put their ego aside. And they really have to buy in to that it's the team, it's not them. And that's that's the one characteristic I see that is most important is that the, the really effective coaches, it's not about them. And I think it's really hard to go from a player, it's about me, to it's not about me. So I would say that, that that would be that piece that you'd have to work on the most, that it's no longer about me, it's about the team. That's one of the things I've heard from a couple of coaches. that And it, and it was honestly, they, they talked about it when they first started coaching. They were so focused on, on winning you know, their ego got in the way. They didn't put the team first and they didn't communicate effectively. They didn't have a, a great team culture, you know, and then they realize, and then, and then they realize, you know, after coaching for, for 10, 15 years that actually the team should come first. Right. And, and all of these things, the, the off the court, team bonding things, all of those things that really aren't related to basketball, 
is what becomes most important and is what bonds the team together. And the wins just kind of fall into place. To your point, I, I, I you are absolutely right. And I've heard it straight from coaches' mouths. Yes. And, you know, it's the same thing with the horse. Um, it's the same thing with the dog. If you show dogs, it, it doesn't matter. It's that relationship. You've got to feel that they have your back and they have to feel that the opposite. And, and that's really the basis. Now, when we watch it, we see wins and losses. We see, you know, completed passes and not completed passes. But, you know, I'm sure we've all heard the stories of Tom Brady um, having the receivers over to his house and, and practicing in the offseason that, you know, if you go past, used to be the Patriots, you know, but if you went past the stadium, the very first car in the parking lot every morning was Tom Brady's truck. truck. Um, it, it's because then they feel that you have their back. And you need to know that they have yours. And when we we talk about communication and building team culture and things, yes, there are some there are similarities across the board. But I, it's up to the coach, right, or the manager in an office to to kind of find their style, right? Because like if you watch the show, The yes. Office, right, Michael, you're not everybody is going to be Michael Scott, right? <laughs> you know, and, and 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 then not everybody's going to be Lou Grant, right? You know, so it's like it's finding, you know, it's it's finding how to make this work, but still doing it in your own style, right? Well, it is. And then it's about the fit. And, you know, I don't care whether you're a high school team or, uh, you know, JV team or an NFL team, it's or a business. It's always about the fit. And if you think about it in any of the drafts, I don't care what sports they are, it is amazing how unsuccessful <laughs> their drafts are. If you look at, you know, the success of a player's career from say the top 10, you know, players that are drafted or the top 20, it's amazing how unsuccessful they are. But the one thing that all of the the facts and figures and charts and gut feelings, the one thing that it can't take into account is how is that player going to fit in the organization? And it's always about the fit. You know, in a company, let's say that you're interviewing for a position and you're interviewing 20 people. It's not that your job is to find the one candidate out of 20 that's qualified and the others aren't qualified. They're all qualified in some way. Who's going to be the best fit? And you see that, you know, sometimes you will see a player be less effective at one team and go to another team and be very effective. That was a better fit for them. And it's always about the fit. And sometimes a player knows what's a good fit and sometimes they don't. Do you want the the kind of leadership from the top that is is more fear-based or do you want it more you know, pal-based, um, but it's always about the fit. But how much of that is on the the coach or the general manager? I'm, and I'm going to stick with the coach here. Okay. How how much is that, though, on the coach to, to recognize the fact that, okay, I don't know if this guy is going to, to fit in to what I want to do instead of just taking a guy, bringing a guy on, or let's say, you know, like in a high school or, or in college where, you know, kids are kids are built into the program, right? Or you're recruiting kids to, to come to your program, you know, and you sit down and you talk to them. I mean, can, can a coach pick up on whether or not that, that player will be a good fit and save everybody all the trouble? 
to a certain degree, but we're all humans. And, and look, nobody recruits, you know, with as hard as recruiting is, and, and it is, um, you know, standing in a living room, convincing uh, parents or a kid to, to, to send your kid to, to my program. As hard as it is, there's a lot of unknowns. And with the best of intentions, you know, a player can think, look, you see some very high profile quarterbacks in college change schools because when they chose the school, they thought it was a good fit. But then they realized that, you know, they needed a different kind of culture. So I think everybody goes into it, let's say, with the best of intentions. And you can think you can live with something. It doesn't mean you can. And then you also have what happens, you know, this happened a few decades ago to a player from Akron, gets recruited by Notre Dame, goes to Notre Dame, the coach that recruited him and believed in him leaves. And the next coach, you know, doesn't believe in him. So, you know, there's all kinds of things. The same thing happened in business. Um, so, you know, there's no guarantee. And that's the good part, the exciting part about putting these pieces, these human pieces together in a puzzle called a team. That is the exciting part. And, and that can be the downside. One of the things that I think is is extremely important, because I think th- 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 there are probably coaches or managers, you know, out there who will say, well, Leslie, I'm a good communicator. I tell the kids, I tell, tell the kids lots of things. I tell the kids, you know, this, I tell the kids that. But if you're, if you're telling your players something and then not delivering on that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's a, it's a huge problem. It's a huge confidence killer. It's a huge culture killer. How important is that for a coach? If, if, you know, whatever, however small or big, the whatever it is they're communicating to their players how important is it to deliver on that if it's hey you're gonna be my three and d guy you're gonna get 10 minutes a game and then the game comes and he doesn't play we got a breakdown in communication right right and and remember it starts with there's no such thing as a little thing or a big thing they're all big and that's why as a coach awareness is so huge because you have to be aware that there's no such thing as a little thing or a big thing. You know, I had a managing partner of a very large and successful CPA firm once complained to me. I was working with a young woman that had just become, been made partner. And the senior managing partner, you know, 30 years older than her, complained to me that if he passed her in the morning, she didn't say good morning to him. And I I just, I couldn't believe it, honestly, that I had to tell a grown man to say good morning. But he's waiting for her to say good morning. He's the top. He's the coach. He's the general manager. You have to do what you tell your people to do. If you say we have a receptive culture, we have a welcoming culture, then you need to be saying good morning to everybody that you see. So that people might say, well, that's a little thing saying good morning. There is no such thing as a little thing. So yes, that coach has to model everything, knowing that his players, you know, are like a three-year-old watching everything, everything. And if you think back to when your boys were younger, you know, they were watching and listening to everything. And so are the players because there's no such thing as little things or big things. It's crazy to me just listening to you talk how closely related leadership 
and communication is. And I don't know if enough people, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm learning from you, you know, and so I, I have to assume there are other people out there who, who, at least for me until this moment, never really thought about it that way. I mean, leadership really is communication, right? Yes, and exactly. And that's exactly what I say that in this century, that communication and leadership intersect. You cannot be an effective leader of anything, not a Girl Scout troop, not your playground ragtag basketball team, not the leader of the country. You cannot be a leader of anything if you cannot communicate effectively. Now, it didn't always used to be that way. If you think back to, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60, 100 years ago, we had leaders that we kind of put in a glass tower or they put themselves in a glass tower and they didn't have to communicate. They could just, they were more like kings, you know, they could just kind of dictate. But that doesn't work anymore. The more effective you are at communicating, the more effective you're going to be as a leader. How much has social media changed the way coaches and managers and, 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 and people who are authority figures, how much has that changed the communication? I don't know that it's changed it. It's added. You know, I said earlier that communication is, is like a wheel with many spokes. You've got the verbal spoke, the vocal, the visual. You have, you know, one-on-one communication. Let's say a coach takes a player off to the side. That's one-on-one communication. You have formal speeches. You have interviews. You have podcasts. You have many spokes on that wheel. What social media has done is add more spokes. (laughs) So we didn't have enough to worry about, right? Coach didn't have enough to worry about. Now he has or she has additional spokes. So now there are more spokes to to kind of be in charge of and more spokes that can go wrong. You know, you got a wheel with spokes, those spokes can break. And that can happen with social media when when people aren't as thoughtful as they could be and put something on social media that could be negative. Um, it's like the spoke is breaking. So I think we've added more spokes. So we've added more things that people have to be semi-experts at. From a player's perspective or an employee's perspective regarding social media, I just feel like people are more comfortable now sending a text instead of calling somebody, getting on, you know, posting a a picture instead of, you know, remember back in the day we had to get your pictures developed and actually drive them over to somebody's house or had, they had to come over and you had to show them, you know, the pictures, like there, there, there's so much communication lost because of of social media. Do you think that, you know, again, that's just something else coaches need to realize and managers need to realize that, that people who, you know, who they're managing just don't communicate as effectively as we used to in the past? But, you know, there's some parts of communication and leadership evolve and some parts stay the same. Just like, you know, the game of basketball, there are things that evolve and then there are things that that stay the same that are the foundation of of any game. And it's the same thing with communication. There are several three-legged stools in communication and leadership. And and if you think about a three-legged stool, you can stand on a three-legged stool. There is no way in the world you can stand on a two-legged stool. You can't, you just can't. Now, someone that knows sports might tell me, but what about those chairs that, you know, people like grandparents bring to a game that have just that one prong you put in the ground, right? And you can kind of sit in that. But you cannot stand on that. 
that will not sustain you. You need three legs. Well, the three legs of communication are the verbal, the vocal, and the visual. So when we text, we don't have the vocal. We don't have the tone. We don't have the visual. So we are expecting to be effective on one leg, and that is not sustainable. At least with a phone, we get the verbal and the vocal. We don't have the visual, although today we easily can with FaceTime. Um, but we need to think how many legs of that stool can I communicate with? Because the more legs that are on my stool, the more effective I'm going to be. So, you know, the word I would use is purposeful, and that's a word I use with my coaching clients. As long as you're purposeful, that you purposefully choose text over phone, that you are on purpose say, I'm going to pick up the phone and actually talk or leave a voicemail, um, that I'm going to do that on purpose. I'm purposefully going to go over to his house and knock on his door. To be purposeful and to know that, Anytime you have less legs, you're going to hurt your own effectiveness. You know, looking through your book and and just looking at the table of contents, it I, I want to read to you some of the the titles of of the chapters, and I you know I just kind of want you to give me a little bit of you know background about you know, what it means without giving the book away, obviously. But, but as I look through it, like the word leadership leads every title of every chapter. But I, like we said earlier, I feel like communication could easily be swapped out for leadership in all of these. And, and so let's like, we'll start with chapter two, leadership or communication creates an inspiring vision. Yes. Yes. You, whether you're leading a horse or you're leading a team, you have to know where you want to go. And that's the vision. You know, whether you use Waze or GPS or Google Maps, you know, whatever you use, they're all wonderful technology, but they depend on you knowing where you want to get to. Where is your destination? They can't work if you don't put in what your destination is. That's your vision. And it needs to be communicated verbally, vocally, visually, it needs to be communicated, you know, um, in a poster over the door, it needs to be communicated in every way you can think of, because that's what you're marching towards. And and a horse and or people need to know where are they going? Which takes us to chapter three, leadership engages team members. Yes. You know, in at Horse Talk, the it it's a small group of people. Sometimes it's all the people from one company and oftentimes it's people that never met before and they congregate in the pasture and a person will rotate as leader and I will call, you know, time and, and a person will rotate as leader. What is so interesting is that, and honestly, I couldn't make this stuff up, nor, nor do I need to because what I really see in the pasture is is better than anything I could make up. The the leader will go off and leave the team standing there. They are depending on the leader for directions. And the leader will just go off and leave them there and think that they can just do it themselves. They can't. There is no player, not Michael Jordan, not LeBron, that can do it themselves. There is no 
a coach. You have assistant coaches, you know, and in, in, in baseball, you have a first base coach, a second base coach, and a third base coach because no coach can do it themselves. But yet I will see over and over again, a person leave their team and go off and think they're going to be the hero. So no, it takes a team to accomplish any goal. So when we look at chapter six, leadership protects team members, right? If your if your team is engaged, right, the culture will be protected, correct? The culture and and both, you know, physically, figuratively, a leader needs to protect their team members. You know, let's say that the player is hurt and says, you know, I, I want to stay in the game. That leader needs to protect that team member perhaps more than that team member at the moment can protect themselves. I heard I had a conversation with Jeremy Sanchez, who's uh, and it's it, the, it's a podcast that's already posted. He's a he's a basketball player. And he plays for Cleveland State. He uh, was named the team's bench captain. It's a kid who doesn't play a lot, but he's he's got a role. He's a bench captain. And one of the things he said to me, really, I mean, to me, it, it fits in right exactly with what you're talking about here, where leadership protects team members. But what he said is, we protect the culture. And to me, that's somebody, if your team is bought in, right, they're buying what you're selling, then they want to protect that. And and that's what I talk about cementing, you know, a, a team and, and keeping a team together. And it starts, right, with the, with the coach and the communication and the players soak it all in. And then now you're insulated. Do, do you see that? Am I, am I is that is that a right way to look at it? Yes, it 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 has to go both ways. You know, for a team or for a business, it can't just be delegated down. the The members have to breathe it. They have to live it twenty four seven. So yes, um, it's not something that you can just do to a company um, or a team. The players need to be thinking about it in everything that they do is is and that's why verbalizing the vision is so important they have to understand the vision and then they have to understand their part in it and how what that means every day that if you got to know yeah you got to understand the why right you have to understand the why and you have to understand the what what do we want to accomplish we want to go to the NCAA okay if i stay out late drinking and i'm not eligible to play how does that affect the what? How does that affect the vision? Because the vision, the strategy is always the what. The tactical is the how. How do we get there? But the the vision is what are we going to do? And that has to be verbalized so that those players can protect it on a daily basis. You know, one time I had the opportunity to, to interview all of the Cavaliers living legends. I think there were five of them. And um, Austin Carr was one of them. And I remember asking the players, if you knew then what we know now about eating and how it affects playing and longevity of your career, what would you have done differently? And, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm not quoting exactly, but to paraphrase Austin Carr, he said, well, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have eaten a bag of Cheetos before every game. And, and that's funny, but that is a way of protecting your culture. You need your players to be at their best in overtime or double overtime. 
not worn out because all they had was carbs to eat before the game. So it's really in every detail because we said there's no small piece of the puzzle to protect that culture. We're going to do a couple of fun things at the end. That's what which I do with all my guests on the podcast. But as we wrap up here, so what would what would you say is is the you know the, kind of the the overall message to to coaches and even managers you know uh, in an in an office setting that you would say. Uh, is a good place to start if you're look, you know, if you're looking at yourself and you want to maybe change the way you communicate and change the way you lead. Where do you start? Okay, I'm going to start with probably which one of our, my very favorite lesson from Horse Talk, the book Lessons in Leadership, is lesson number 29: is pay attention to your hip bones. And and one of the reasons this is my favorite one is that this one you can see the fastest result. And what that means with a horse, when you are are trying to get a horse to move around you, your hip bones need to be facing between the horse's middle and their, their tail, okay? What that means to us in our daily lives is our hip bones need to literally be facing our audience. So think about it in pre-COVID days for a moment, okay? You're sitting at your office and you're facing your laptop and, and one of your team members comes to you and asks a question. Typically, you would continue facing your laptop and you would answer that team member. And you would say to yourself, well, I, you know, I paid attention to him. It's the same thing if your three-year-old comes to you. Your hip bones would still be facing your laptop. When we used to go to restaurants, think about it. You're on your phone. The waitress comes for your order. You continue facing your phone. Your hip bones are facing your phone. They're not facing another human being. Your hip bones need to be facing your audience. Just turn and face that human. That's a huge difference. With a horse, if your hip bones are not facing the horse from their middle to their tail, they're going to stop. They're going to stop. Well, figuratively, what's going to happen to your team? When you pull a player aside, when you talk to them, make sure your hip bones are facing them. When you talk to someone, figuratively or literally, in today's COVID world, perhaps you're not going to see them, but make sure you're focusing on them. It will come through. I say it's like asbestos. It will come through. It will come through your pores. Make sure that literally your hip bones are facing the human or figuratively, and you will see fast results. So if somebody wants to reach out to you and, and maybe attend one of your horse talks or just you know bring you in to, to talk about better communication and leadership, how did they get a hold of you? Thank you. My email is Leslie, L-E-S-L-I-E, Leslie at electricimpulse.com. My website is electricimpulse.com. I named it after a horse. That's why I sound a little bit like an electric company. Electric Impulse was a big white Arabian stallion that that you can read about on site. My cell phone is 330-607-5730. You can find me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. I'm glad to answer. So text me, call me, 330-607-5730. Shoot me an email. Visit my website. Um, I would be glad to, to share any experiences with you and hear about yours. 
All right. So at the end of each podcast, we do a couple of fun things. One thing is called what's the coolest. The other thing is called first things last. What's the coolest? Typically, I'm talking to coaches and players, right? So typically that what the coolest is, coolest place you either played or coached in or maybe watched a game. Now, I'm going to open it up to you, but if the coolest thing or coolest place you've ever been to involves horses, I want to hear about that. So, Leslie, what's the coolest place you've either showed a horse, watched a game, played a game? What's the coolest? Well, it, the coolest place from experience standpoint would be uh, Toronto be, at Canadian Nationals because just crossing the border with horses is something that takes so much strategic planning. What time of day do you want to cross so that you can get over as quickly as possible and not be in an eight-hour line? Um, so there's just so much involved when you're crossing into another country and you're showing in another country. I would say that going to Canadian Nationals was one of the coolest. And the World Championships one year were in Florida and at a racetrack. And the racetrack world is so different than the horse showing world that in in, in other ways, that was the coolest. So those are my two coolest. I just want to ask you, you know, you're, since you were such a big Ohio State fan, do you remember like going to your first Ohio State game? I, you mentioned that, you know, men, remembering when Archie Griffin came into a game, but do you remember going to a game? Um, you know, I I don't because my dad was a huge, huge fan, but he was not the kind of fan that like went to games every week. He was more the kind of, we had, we had a barn at our house. He was more the dad that did all the things around the house and the barn all weekend, he wouldn't take the time to go to a game. But I will tell you that when Jim Tressel came to Akron as vice president at the University of Akron, um, and I got to know him, I took his class on coaching because I figured that coaching is coaching, right? Regardless of what you're coaching. Um, I've gone to dinner with him, I've interviewed him. That was like my biggest thrill because at that point my dad had passed away and I thought, If my dad knew that Jim Tressel knew my name, he would be so thrilled. And I will tell you this, that Jim Tressel has a way to fillet you without raising his voice. In fact, the quieter he gets, the more you know you're in trouble. And um, I got filleted a few times in class, but I was always thrilled to think I got filleted by the former Ohio State football coach. That's pretty cool. So that's my coolest Ohio State experience is is that Jim Tressel knew my name well enough to fillet me. Well, that's a great one. Okay, so now one, okay, the other thing we like to do is, is at the end of the podcast, first things last. I have in front of me, it's the last thing we do, but I have a list of firsts that okay. I'm going to ask you, okay? Okay. Um, so the first question for you and last first things last is what was your first job oh that one is so easy my dad owned a candy company and my first job was packing bagging candy he would buy candy in what we call bulk in big cases so picture chocolate covered milk ball, uh, malt balls in big cases. And my job was to stand on the assembly line and I had to scoop it, bag it, weigh it, 
um, so that it would have the right number of ounces and it would go down the assembly line and then they would put the seal on it to seal the bag closed. So I would eat a, ba- eat a ball, bag a bag, eat a ball, bag a bag. Um, I ate much more than I ever bagged, but that was my first job. That's a great first job, for, especially if you're a kid. Holy moly. <laughs> That's great. How about you remember your first car? I do remember my first car. I um, went to the University of Akron, and it's a commuter school, um, so most people drive that go there. My first car was, at the time, uh, probably a 15 or 20-year-old Corvette and it was orange and brown. I was a huge Browns fan, and it was an orange and brown Corvette. And let me just tell you, orange and brown are not attractive colors for a car. But I didn't care because I was a big Browns fan, and so my first car was a vintage orange and brown Corvette. That's a good one too. Like we, like there were a lot of good first cars we get <laughs> we get out of this this segment. And okay, her name now. was her name was Bet Bet the Vet. Oh, see, that, that's awesome. Now, we know how much you love horses, yes. but what was your first pet? My first pet um, was a dog. Um, we always had dogs. Um, <clears throat> my first pet that, that I really can remember um, was, was our poodle, Gigi who was a little terrorist. Um, but I was raised with dogs. Um, when we had um, when we had horses, and we had five dogs. Um, so, you know, I was raised with dogs. The bigger, the better. I always said that anything under 30 pounds was a hiccup, and I now own two hiccups. Um, but my dad had a kind of a policy that I could have any kind of animal I wanted in the barn. Um, so um, I, I had a lot of different animals, um, but dogs still remain, um, you know, my top top one or two of all the animals all right here's one that always surprises me what was your first concert oh my well you know <laughs> i'm not really a concerty person um because when and I, I don't think it's that different i don't care if you're if it's basketball or football or soccer whatever it is you know horses were were a 24 7 experience for me um it was something that took my weekends, that took my my nights, that took every living moment. I, I always say about any hobby, I don't know if it takes more money or more time, um, and both of them, you know, come at a premium. But there was a song that played when I showed um, in different classes. In one class, I showed in when you came in the ring, they they played this song um, and. Um, Sheik of Sheik of Araby, and I was telling that to someone in a podcast or something not long ago, and they they wanted to find it, and the song really does exist. So musically, the songs that they played when you entered the ring, those are the ones that are most important to me. I can remember a Cowsills concert when I would think was I was in junior high. Um, Maybe that was one of my first concerts, but the music they played when I ended the show ring, that's the most important music memories in my life. Again, another great answer. Now, this is present day. This is the last one I'll ask you. Okay. When you get up in the morning, what is the first app that you check? Oh, that one is so easy. (laughs) I am a sports and a, a, a politics junkie. 
Okay, I am both. I can't get enough of either one. Um, I would just listen and read uh, all day long. So the very first app I turn on, as soon as I let the dogs out, I grab my phone and I turn on my serious radio and I turn on Morning Joe and that is the first thing I listen to when I get dressed in the morning. Again, see, that's why I love doing this because like the, the answers are never what I expect them to be, honestly, honestly. And so, and I thank you, Leslie. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having some fun with us here at the end. Thank you for your insight. I mean, you were phenomenal a phenomenal guest here well, on the podcast. You are a phenomenal host. And, you know, the last thing I will say is fun. Although I, I do not allow clients to, to, say, to give fun as a reason to do something, um, but fun has a great value. It has a great value to, to teams if they keep it in, in place to have fun. It has a great value to companies. Um, you know, there was a long time that one airline was the only successful airline because their uh, people were charged with making flying fun. So fun does have a value. And, and thank you for making this fun. I'd like to think that it had a value. It was also fun. And I thank you for that. Well, it yeah, no, it, you you provided some some great insight. And I really appreciate you taking the time and coming on. And you know what? I see a day where you come back and we we talk some more because like this is this is something that just you know there's always something to learn. Yes, there is, and you know what? Every time I do a horse talk session, I have one coming up June 11th. I learn something because you're right. There is always something to learn. Remember, if you know a great coach who's doing great things, winning games, and building a great team culture at the same time, we want to hear about them. We may even ask them to be a future guest on the podcast. Reach out to me on Twitter at CourtsidePod1 and on Facebook and Instagram at Courtside Culture Podcast. Remember, build your players up, find them a role, and take them from good to great. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us on the Courtside Culture Podcast. And remember... Build the good in your players instead of focusing on repairing the bad. Find your players a role, each and every one of them, and take them from good to great. We'll see you next time.